Welcome to The Determined Mom Show, the only marketing podcast dedicated to guiding mom CEOs into tranquility, wealth, and multiplying those precious moments. Welcome to episode number 32 of The Determined Mom Show. I have a very special guest. Her name is Caitlin Eldridge, and she is a CPA and also the founder of Eldridge CPA LLC. So if you are looking for any type of accounting help, tax help, she is your go-to. And she is here today to talk to us about how to properly prepare for tax season. And it's January, so it is it's never been a better time to talk about this. So welcome, Caitlin, and um, tell us about yourself. Hey, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. So I am, oh, this is always that elevator pitch that I never seem to quite have down, but I am a mom of three beautiful girls. I have a husband who's in the military, and like you said, I'm a CPA. So I left college, graduated, what is it now? Almost 10 years ago. I can't believe time flies. Sat for my CPA exam, worked for a big four accounting firm, and kind of spent the next seven to eight years working for other companies. And after I thought we were for sure moving to England, I put in my resignation and was excited to pack our family up and head overseas. And my husband came home and said we were moving to Mississippi instead. That's a little different. It's a lot different. I wasn't going to be able to work in England, so it made sense to me to kind of put my resignation in and back off. And so when he had come home and said that, I was like, well, I guess I'm not done working. And after perusing the job market for where we're going to be living, um, there wasn't anything that really sounded exciting. Um, But recruiters kept calling and I knew I still wanted to work and I wanted to fulfill that part of being who I am because you just lose it when you're raising kids. And so I talked to a friend and she suggested I start my own business and off I ran with it. That's awesome. So how many years is the actual like CPA training? So it depends on your state. Um, I was living and working in Nebraska at the time. So I had to pass the exam and have two years of work experience under a certified public accountant in order to receive my CPA. Some states are one year, some you don't have to work for a CPA or you can kind of fudge some of that. But the nice part about a CPA is my license travels very easily. So most of the time you can just get a reciprocal license by applying. So for a military spouse, it's a great career for that reason because I don't have to retest in different states. Um, Nebraska was one of the harder ones to be certified in. So it really passes for all of them. I think the only one I would have an issue with is Florida. You have to have a master's and I don't have one of those. Okay. Well, that's interesting. That's very cool. I've always wondered that. Like, so I've worked with, um, in the nonprofit that I worked in, I worked like extremely closely with the whole CPA firm and all that stuff. And we did the audit and I was responsible for helping them with the audit. And I remember working with all of them, but I never really, it just seems like this, like, uh, it's almost like an attorney, you know, like, you know, you have like this big, uh, looming like title and I'm like, okay, wow. What exactly is involved in getting that title? So thank you for clearing that up. Yeah, no problem. 150 credit hours and two years experience. And then the test, of course. Yeah. Awesome. Which <laughs> That's probably the hardest part, the test. I am super excited to get started um, talking about the topic today. It is tax season and all of us small business owners are starting to feel the itch of uh, 
getting our tax papers ready and all of 2020, I think I did really good through like maybe July of 2020 and then I fell off. So of, you know, like keeping everything in order and all of that stuff. So I hope you have some really great tips for us today on exactly what we need to do. Yeah, the nice part is it's January, so you guys are at the right time to get all this done and get it done quickly, so you can get it to your CPA and get it off your plate. Um, I know that I think I see the most procrastination just because people don't want to do it, and so that's when they come in in April, and all of a sudden it becomes a fire drill. So we're going to prevent the fire drills, and you're going to get this done in a couple weeks and be ready to move on with the new year. But since it's January, what I really want you to do is go check if you drive at all for your business and you work from home, I want you to go check your odometer on the car that you drive the most and I want you to write that number down. It's important that you have that for the next year but also for the last year. So grab that odometer reading and grab all your mileage for the year and you're gonna wanna have that in, in Excel would be great, um, paper and pen works. But what you're gonna wanna have, and this is for your records, is where you went, why you went there, and how far you went. So once you have that, go ahead and just tally up the mileage piece. And that's the only piece your CPA really needs, but now you have the proof if they ask for it or if you have to come up with that answer later. It's still gonna be somewhat fresh in your mind if you forgot to do it during the year. So do it now while you can still recreate those um, meetings the best you can that were out of your home. I have a question about that. Yeah. So I am, almost never leave my house, which is probably mm -hmm. a bad thing, but um, the only places that I go are occasional client meetings. I don't have a lot of local clients, but I do have some. So occasional client meetings, I might meet with them at a coffee shop or want to actually go to his office. Um, it's about like 20 miles away. And then the other place that I go is the credit union. Are those two things considered business use? Yeah, so the um, client meeting for sure is. The bank could be argued. Um, other places to think would be like the post office. So if you sell something and you're running to the post office to ship it, then the mileage to and from that post office counts. To and from client offices or if you're meeting a client at a coffee shop or a restaurant, um, the mileage to and from those would count too. Okay, thank you. Yeah. So you, you want to take a look at that. Um, your receipts are the next one. So hopefully you've been keeping those all year. You've either stuffed them in an envelope somewhere or uh, scanned them in and saved them on your desktop. Uh, another popular one is people will take pictures of it on their with their phones and create a folder in your albums and it just says business receipts and you can keep them all that way. So if you've got them in five different places around your house, go ahead. This is a great time to put them all in one place, label them, and you should be good to go. Again, this is documents you need to contain, like retain for your purposes, not necessarily that you need to drop off at your CPAs. Um, if you, we'll walk through a couple other things, but if you've gone ahead and put it all into an Excel file or some way that you can tell somebody what your expenses were, you get to keep the receipts. Don't drop that shoebox off at your CPA's office. Okay. One question that I have mm -hmm. is how do I organize all of the thousands of receipts for things that I have purchased in my email? Do you have a good system for that? Um, I really think like a folder is probably your best bet. And then from there, like the very organized part of me would subfolder it. So I would have like um, receipts for marketing in one file and receipts for equipment I purchased, your computers, et cetera, um, 
I would have receipts for gifts that I gifted my people into a different one. So I would subfolder it. What you're really keeping them for, and this is probably the thing that people might not talk about enough, and that's what seems so scary. So you're keeping it in case the IRS audits you and wants proof. You're, like I said, your CPA doesn't need them if you provided them a tallied answer. So that's what you're keeping it for is in case in the next seven years, an IRS agent shows up and says, hey, I want some proof to that $100 dinner that you said was a client. So can you provide me that receipt? Speaking of that, as you're tallying those up, you're going to want a meals and entertainment expense kind of highlighted on the Excel or the printout from your QuickBooks that you're providing your CPA. And within that, what you do want to do, if you can be super proactive about this, is if you ever purchase something like alcohol at a client dinner, you need to pull that out. You can't take that deduction or you need to highlight it to that CPA somehow. So preferably you'd have two lines, one that says meals and one that says entertainment. And you would split that out. Okay. So um, is, does the wine go into the entertainment or? Wine goes wine. into entertainment. Um, unfortunately, okay. with that new tax law a couple of years ago, they said you can't take entertainment at all. You used to be able to take pieces of it. Interesting. Um, if you could really tie it together and really show how it helped with your client relationships. Um, but the IRS came and said, we're done. You can't take any entertainment expense at all. And yeah. alcohol is considered entertainment. Well, I think alcohol definitely uh, greases the wheel when you're talking about closing a deal, you know? So. Exactly. <laughs> and I mean, if your clients are other moms, it's just how you guys survive some weeks. Like, exactly. pull out the wine and have a little business discussion. But yeah, exactly. Yeah. Anymore. <laughs> well, that's a good tip. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. Um, so we've got our receipts, we've got our meals and entertainment, we've got our mileage. What I then would love to see is that you guys print out your bank statements for the year. Um, you can PDF those, toss them in a file on your computer, um, on your external hard drive, wherever you would like to save it. And hopefully this is in a business, we're talking about like a business only checking account. Um, so save those bank statements and then go through whatever software or Excel you use to track everything. And do this early January again, because it's gonna be fresh in your memory that what you did during the year. So just check it all. See if QuickBooks has all the income that your bank shows for the whole year. Make sure that those expenses made it into QuickBooks or into your Excel file. So I really think it's a good time to sit down and do that. But again, keeping those bank statements, if for some reason your bank all of a sudden lost them or didn't have them, at least you have it. That's a big one. Um, so if you work from home, which everyone should be working from home, and you have what we consider a um, designated office space. So you use this space exclusively for working and you use it regularly to work. You get some extra deductions, which is super exciting. Um, but to make your life easier, what you should do is go ahead and gather your utility bills for the year for your whole house. So we're talking electric, water, um, gas, if that applies, cable bill slash internet bill. You want the internet piece, but often for many people, those are combined um, in your phone. So go ahead and gather those, tally it all up again for the year. And that's going to allow you to take a percentage deduction based on how big your home office is. Uh, but you'll have it ready because that way the CPA is ready for it or you've got it sitting right next to you when you hop on to like TurboTax or something to enter it. They'll ask you for those totals so that they can break it out measure your office, you need your square footage for your office too, and you need to have a rough idea of the square footage for your house. This sounds like um, some gathering that would be good for a VA to- It would be, if you have one, yeah. 
if you have one and can um, provide them your logins, because a lot of that stuff's all online these days, yeah. and have them just print it out, mm-hmm. save it. Um, the perfect way would probably be one file for the whole year, so you don't have 12 files for everything. Yeah. But yeah, have a VA gathered all for you. Yeah. And then add it to their list going forward to pull this information once a month and store it for you. So though 2019 might feel heavy because all of a sudden there's all these things to do in the first couple weeks, mm-hmm. going forward, you can set up the systems that 2020 is going to look really good. I think that's great. I think you just hit on something that is extremely important. So we're all about, and I know because I work with so many different mom business owners, we're all about setting up the system so we don't have to do this again, right? Right. I guarantee that like 2% of us have these monthly like accounting systems set up and are actually like performing them and doing them. And, you know, so then that way it makes, makes it easy for us at the end of the year. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Bookkeeping sounds very scary to a lot of people and they kind of laugh and I'm like, but you could do it within like half an hour to an hour once a month. And you really can once you get all these systems put up, but you go in or you have your VA go in and pull your bank statement for you, open up your software, compare the two. Most of the time, that's what the software just requires as a comparison and you're done. And you can do that over a glass of wine watching Netflix on a Friday night. Not everyone's idea of a fun Friday night, but it's really that it can be that simple when you get those in place and then January doesn't feel as scary. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for that reminder. Cause that was a kind of an eye opening one. I was like, wait, I should be doing that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And those mile- miles that you do throughout the year, there's so many apps out there, grab one um, and just log it as you're doing it. Or when you're um, waiting for your coffee order from Starbucks, anything like that, you can kind of catch up that way in these little stolen moments of time throughout the day. So for early January, what I really want you to do too, if you don't have a tax person, try to reach out real fast to find one. They're going to get super busy mid-January through the end of April. And so if you have one you don't particularly love, you're going to have a better chance at getting somebody's time in more of like, in a better way than just like, hey, drop off those documents. I'll prepare your tax return for you. If you want a little bit of a conversation, you're going to stand a better luck um, early January and then kind of early February. And then after that, they're going to be lost your best bets just to pick someone at that point and drop your information off. Yeah. Pick whomever, right? Exactly. And if you do have someone, go ahead and fill out their questionnaire if they've sent it to you. Um, when you have all that information sitting in front of you. So that's a big one. So 1099s and W2. So we talked about virtual assistants and a lot of people have those. So if you are not paying them through what we call a, your virtual assistant, they're an independent contractor. If you're not paying them through a third party billing agent, like a credit card, PayPal, et cetera. So if you're paying them cash, check, anything that would appear to like not track it, you need to go ahead and issue them a 1099 if you paid them $600 or more during the previous year. And that is due by January 31st to the IRS and to the individual that you hired. Um, So that's a big deadline that sometimes people miss. And then they come to me in like March and April and they say, hey, so I paid this person like $700 throughout the year and I just paid them in checks. And they're like, time out. We missed the deadline. We need to fix this first. Your tax return actually has a box that says, were you required to send 1099s out? And did you? You never want that mismatched. You never want to say, oh, I was required and I didn't do it because it's just going to raise a red flag very fast. And before you know it, they're going to be an auditing not only the 1099, but your meals and every other expense you have listed. You just don't want to do that. 
So if we always pay them through like PayPal or um, something like that. Yeah. So the responsibility then kind of shifts to PayPal. We're watching the law right now, 2020, there's a new form. So going forward, there's going to be a new form and whether they change the rules a little bit is up in the air. Um, but PayPal or a credit card, they're now the ones who are responsible for reporting stuff and their reporting limits are a little bit different. What, um, it's kind of nice, it's helpful, I guess, not nice. But if you look at the motivation of the IRS, what they're doing is trying to prevent a lot of under the table cash transactions from not getting reported at all. And so this is their way of trying to catch that. Okay. So if you've got some kind of paper trail, that's usually someone else's responsibility. Okay, that's good. That's good to know. I still yeah. have, you know, kind of required them, but it's good to know that I don't really need to give them if I'm paying through that. So. Yep, and over-reporting is never going to be a problem. Okay. So you're going to get in trouble for under-reporting. Okay. Over there, like, hey, thanks for the information. We appreciate it. Yeah. So um, we're all moms here, and that might mean that you actually have some kind of child care. Well, there are credits for having childcare. You can't take it as a deduction for your business, which is a huge bummer. Um, and I think in my personal opinion should be reassessed, but I have three kids running around. So my opinion probably doesn't count for as much, yeah. but we all have some, we probably have some kind of childcare. And so if you are putting them in a center, make sure you go to that center and get all of your statements for the year so that you can get that credit. Um, if you are hiring a babysitter, and this is kind of a iffy part, if you have paid them in cash and issued them a 1099 and paid the tax, well, if they're in your house, you would have issued them a W-2. So if you have paid the employment taxes on your sitter or your nanny in the house, you get to take that credit then. But if you okay. haven't, then you don't get to take the credit. So if it's just a sitter that comes in um, for a couple hours and you are paying them 20 bucks in cash, mm -hmm. you're not going to get the credit for that piece. Right. But so if you're issuing them a W- At that right. point to track- <laughs> exactly. And they have to, to be considered like a household employee. There are thresholds to reach. But if it if they're there, they're a nanny, you should be doing a W-2 and you should be withholding taxes for them. And the benefit of doing all that then is that you get to take that credit. So I am looking forward to having household employees. So <laughs> are we all? Oh my gosh, I can't <laughs> I wait for that day. Um, the kids, I can hear them now as we're talking. I can hear them screaming. They're supposed to be taking naps. I'm like, it would be so much easier just to have someone else sometimes. So that's really the uh, big business pieces. But if you're doing this, and I know a lot of people's spouses are like, hey, since you're gathering the tax information anyway for your business, just some things to remember. You're going to want a W-2 if anyone at your house is doing paid work for somebody else. So gather all the W-2s. If you've gotten 1099s from somebody, gather those up. Gather your mortgage statements because those have your interest and your real estate taxes, which might be deductible. Um, if you've given throughout the year to charitable organizations, grab those receipts and then grab the tally for the year of what you've given. If you've done goodwill and stuff, make sure you take the time and it's not fun. But to go to the Salvation Army's website, which sounds funny, but if you've done any thrift store type donations, Salvation Army has a great uh, tool that lets you put in what you donated and kind of what the average deduction can be for that amount. Oh, that's so cool. grab that. Per bag or per like? Per item. So you'll want a detailed, like I gave five pants. And then you can go to the Salvation Army's website and see what kind of a jean is worth versus a legging versus a trouser. Wow. 
Oh my goodness. That's a lot. Like we give bags and bags of, you know, like clothes every year. I don't think I could, I don't know. That sounds like something you'd have to hire someone to do too. <laughs> it's a great job for that VA that you've hired. Yeah. Cause you can throughout the year, like just jot down what you donated. And then at the end of the year, end of the month, have someone go ahead and tally that up. And then your personal property taxes. So those vehicle taxes you pay, those could be deductible. Saying all of that in the new tax law we're in, I don't see many people itemizing anymore. So they're taking that $24,000 standard deduction if they're married, $12,000 if they're single. So it could be a lot of work for nothing. So that's something you get to weigh. Like, is this worth my time? If I'll probably just be taking the standard. And if the answer is not worth your time, then don't do it. Take the standard and call it a day. So you'd almost have to have like a crazy amount of expenses in order to justify not taking the standard deduction, right? Correct, because they limited state and local taxes to $10,000. So for people who live in like New York and New Jersey, California, they used to probably receive $15,000, $20,000 just in what they were paying for like property taxes and income taxes. You could take that deduction, mm -hmm. but now they cut it off at $10,000. So if that's limited to $10,000, you have $14,000 plus you have to make up in things like charitable donations and personal property taxes. And yeah. there's a very small chance unless you're um, just, I mean, the wealthier you are, the more you're probably giving, but it's very hard now to reach them. For the average, I'd say work at home mom. Yeah. Okay. That's good to know. Yeah. And then um, we'll wrap just kind of my last one since we're early January. There's an estimated payment due January 15th for 2019. So now that you've gathered all this information, you can run that calculation super fast to see if you owe anything. And the reason you'd be paying in is because the IRS does this um, pay-as-you-go system. So as you earn money, they want you to pay the taxes for it. So if you want to avoid any interest and penalties, make sure you make that last payment. That's good to know. And who, can you tell us a little bit about who normally would be required to, to do the estimated payments? If you're self-employed, then the estimated taxes come into play. However, because if you're filing on something like a Schedule C, which goes on your normal 1040, you get to weigh the other income and taxes paid in the whole house against your business. So let's say your spouse works and last year you received a refund of like $4,000 and your business income is comparable to last year. Your spouse's income is comparable. Everything the same. You never adjusted your withholding. You probably don't know estimated taxes because the spouse's withholding covered your business because of how the whole system kind of flows together. Now, let's say last year you owed in $1,000 and you didn't change anything and you haven't paid in your estimated taxes throughout the year, which would have been about 250 bucks. You're going to want to go ahead and pay in preferably that whole thousand that you've done your calculation and think you owe. At the very least, um, try to pay in something. I always recommend the most that you are due. So that's kind of how it works. It's really it's so dependent on each person's individual tax situation, the IRS has a really good calculator where you can go and toss in like, this was the W-2 wage, this was my self-employed net income, so it's your income less your expenses, um, and it'll calculate for you, including credits and stuff, what they think that you owe. That's awesome. Maybe I will put a link to that calculator in the show notes, so then that way if anybody yeah. wants a, you know, a quick way to kind of figure that out and figure out if that's the right thing for them to do for 2020. Um, then they can do that. I know there's probably a lot of moms that are just starting 
you know, 2020 might be their first full year in business. So yeah. they're going to be, um, you know, kind of evaluating off of that. So, which is really nice. And you, this, they kind of give you like a freebie where you need to be at least 90% paid in by April to avoid interest and penalties. So you kind of have like a 10% way of playing with these numbers and being like, I'm not quite sure, but I think I'm close enough. So we'll just call it or just be a hundred percent paid in of what you owed the previous year. Yeah. So what you paid in for the year 2018, if that was $5,000, then you have to be $5,000 paid in to avoid interest and penalties. And then let's say you end up owing seven, you're usually able to argue, well, I didn't expect incomes to change and there's other ways around it, but. I have a question for you related to taxes. Mm-hmm. That, um, I know as I help moms, I've done some business coaching and helping started in their business one of the biggest questions is the difference between a sole proprietorship, an LLC, and like an S-corp or a C-corp or whatever. Um, can you give just a, I know, you know, you don't have to go into like the legal, all of the, all that stuff, but just for tax purposes, can you explain how those taxes are filed? Yeah, definitely. So a sole proprietorship is just you. And what you get to do is the LLC is what we consider a legal designation. You have options to treat it differently for tax, but if it's just you and you're in an industry that's very litigious, then you form an LLC because what it does is just pulls your business assets away from your personal assets. As long as you keep, you don't commingle funds and all these other things, you can pull those apart. And so if someone came to sue you, they wouldn't necessarily get your house, let's say. So the LLC is really the legal purpose. And if it was just you and you had an LLC, you still can report that on your Schedule C, and that's where it would go. As you earn more money, and that um, kind that changes for each tax person, but I say once you start bringing home like a net amount of uh, $50,000, dollars $70,000, somewhere around there, an S-corp becomes something to consider. And so if you formed your LLC, you can elect to tax it like a corporation, or an S corporation. Corporation, I wouldn't recommend unless you are pretty large, that you have a lot of employees and a lot of people because there's a lot of steps to running an S corporation. There's a lot of rules you have to follow. And then when you pay yourself, you're paying yourself in wages and dividends, and those dividends get double taxed. So the corporation paid tax on the dividends, and now you as the individual have to pay tax. So that's why I don't recommend the corporation. The S-Corp is super popular right now because what you can do is form your LLC, elect into an S-Corp as the owner, and then what you do is you take a piece of that home as wages, so you pay your FICA taxes throughout the year, but the rest you can take home as a distribution, not subject to FICA wages. And FICA wages right now are 15.3% for the employer and the employee side. Mm -hmm. So you can see how you can then take home a bunch extra and not pay the FICA rates, you're saving immediately 15.3%. You still owe income taxes and you still owe your state income taxes, but you've now saved a huge chunk of money. But an S-Corp does come, like I said, just like a corporation with rules of how you govern it and you have to pay yourself a reasonable wage. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a ton of court cases out there, people trying to pay themselves like $24,000, but the business made 200,000, so they're taking home 180, and they're only paying this yeah. taxable income. So the IRS got mad and they, they've been looking at them more. Uh, right now it's not a high audit season. So 
that's something to consider. But an S corp also has another return involved. Mm -hmm. So the tax savings needs to be but like pretty high for you to take on the extra tax preparation costs, which are the payroll tax returns and then the new tax return that you have to file. Do you feel like that threshold is still at that 50 to 65? Because that seems low to me. I don't know. Like so I don't really think it would be beneficial for me to, to do that, even though I make more than that. You know what I mean? I don't know. It just seems yeah. like it's going to work. <laughs> uh, it can be. And it just depends on whether you want to hire it out and how much the person charges to do that. I run my calculations kind of over 10 years looking at that 15.3%. So I do make the assumption that you're in this for a while. Mm -hmm. um, but if you, a lot of the jobs, you can argue that like when you're working on your business and in your business, that maybe the reasonable wage is only 30 or 35,000. So that's where that extra 15,000 then comes home. And so you just want to look at that over that 10, over a period of time. Um, but make sure you factor in the extra costs that come with it. I've unfortunately seen a lot of tax preparers tell their clients, hey, you should be an S-Corp. Here's the paperwork. We filed it. And then they fail to mention like, oh, and by the way, you're now paying me more for return and all these other things. Yeah. So, yeah. And they don't always understand that they have to pay themselves a wage. So make sure if you've had someone approach you that you ask the questions. Um, that's, that's very good advice. Very, very good. Yeah, I just, yeah, I don't like seeing when people come and they're like, oh, I was just told to do this. And so I did it. And then there are repercussions of that. So, and not knowing what questions to ask makes those questions not be asked, you know, like, right. you don't know, like, okay, does this have any additional ramifications? And they're like, no, not really. Just, you know, file a different return makes it sound, you know, easy. It does. And like with an S corp, um, people don't factor in the loss of your home office deduction. So if you have a basement that you only use for work and you're running your business out of that and it's a thousand square feet, that's a substantial deduction that you're going to lose when you elect into this S corp. And that's sometimes not a calculation people take in. I've known many people who are like, yeah, I could save money on FICA taxes, but it's not worth what I lose in my home office. So it's not worth the election for me. So an LLC um, circling back is great if you ever think you're going to be sued or if you're really risk adverse, consider that because you can still file your taxes as you had been. You just have the LLC designation now. Thank you for giving us that little tutorial. I think it's going to be really valuable for a lot of moms that are listening because there's always that like, okay, I just started this now. What do I do? You know, and so those are really, really helpful tips. I'm glad. Yeah. I, I think it's the one thing I feel people stop to. They don't start their business because they're scared of this piece. So don't be scared. There's so many good people out there that you can find and hook up with who will kind of walk you through it. And don't be afraid to look for someone. And um, Caitlin also does CPA work virtually. So you can hire her if you're looking for someone to uh, take care of your taxes or help you with bookkeeping or any of those things. Um, I would definitely highly recommend her because she obviously knows her stuff. So thanks so much. Yeah, it's that passion I love between running after little children. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, wait, let me add this number <laughs> or let me let me uh, calculate this uh, tax rate. I'll be right back. <laughs> Pretty much. There's many times we're like, hey, here's a good show. Mom has some tax work to do. Yeah, I love it. I do the same thing with, uh, with my daughter. I'm like, okay, I have a meeting. Let's uh, go ahead and watch this baby bomb on YouTube. Yeah. I, yeah, I need to figure out how that one becomes a deduction because I can deduct my internet bill. There's got to be some argument for a cable bill. 
think I'll yeah. have to go into the oh, tax law on that one. <laughs> yeah, that's like the babysitter thing, the childcare, right? <laughs> I know. It's like, because I was looking for somebody and they're like, can I deduct my babysitter that's coming with me so I can go on a work trip? Work trip? And I was like, I'm sorry, you can't. And then of course it just fires me up because I'm like, why can't? Like, yeah, that's just such an old rule when we had one person who stayed home and one person who went to work. Of course you'd have to pay someone for childcare, but we do now. So we need some wiggle room here. And those laws were also written by men. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Primarily. I don't understand. I had to throw that out there, but um, but yeah, so they are not um, written for the benefit of working mothers who are no. crazy children. So yes. yeah, not cool. But one final question that I have for you is what is your favorite part about being a work at home mom? Well, right now it would be that I put on sweatpants and a sweatshirt for this discussion. So the accounting world is very slow to get up with the times. So for nine years, I had to, eight years, I had to wear business casual or business professional to work. And I don't like suit jackets. I really don't. And I couldn't like even work from home for a corporation because they acted as if it was impossible. So I very much enjoy the dress code changing. And I have two favorites. I get to spend more time with my kids. They, um, they got sick a lot in daycare. So I was missing work and that stress mm-hmm. was hard. And so it's nice now to know that this is on my time and the deadlines that exist. But if that means I work at midnight instead of noon, then it's okay. And everyone's going to survive because there's no real tax emergency. Yeah, that's true. Very true. Like <laughs> all 14th, right? <laughs> right. Like the day is there every year and there's an extension in there. And I mean, it's just, there's no real tax emergency. And I'm glad that I now work from home and for clients who understand I have a family and that some days the it's just not an immediate email response and it's okay. Yeah. Now are a lot of your clients mom business owners or? They are. They're uh, mom business owners and female business owners. Um, I find that there's a lot of old white men in my profession Mm -hmm. and a lot of the women who have found me have found that they just felt talked down to or talked at. They couldn't ask questions or they felt stupid to ask questions. And so we've been able to really connect because I don't just um, serve, like I don't just do the work, but I add education into it. So when people have questions, then um, I'm more than happy to answer those and take the time to explain it a couple of different ways if the first one didn't click. So that is my general clientele. And it's just because I get it too. I get where their life is and they don't want to do the bookkeeping and the tax work because they don't have the time for it. They've got kids to run after and holidays to get ready for. Yeah, I love that. And I love that you have that, you know, the relation, but also that you take the time to really explain it to people. And that makes such a difference. Instead of like, I know all the accounts that I've used, you like walk into their office and it's so like sterile and you sit in the waiting room and then you come in and they hand you a folder and like, you know, you open the folder and they say this, 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 and this sign here. There's not really that personal you know, you can ask questions, but again, like you said, they often make you feel um, talked down to. So I'm glad that you are kind of giving the accounting industry a new face and a new feeling and a new name, you know, I love it. So yeah, I'm trying. I really enjoy it. And then I love the virtual piece of it. So you, like you said, going to an office and now you're taking time out of your work day to do this and everything for me is through a portal. So if nine o'clock at night is when you're pulling your tax documents together, that's when you upload them and I'll get them the next day. So I think the industry is shifting 
it's just not shifting very fast. And there's a lot of tradition and pomp and circumstance involved in that, I think. (laughs) There is, there very much is. And yeah, I think, I think we'll start to see a shift as people our age come into it and the younger um, CPAs are like, well, this was fun, but I don't want to play by these rules. I think I can serve people in a better way. Yeah. And you are, and you can, and I love it. And if there is anyone out there that's interested in becoming a CPA or a bookkeeper or any of those things, I'm sure Caitlin is a great resource for that. She has, um, she can find her anywhere almost. Um, she's got a Facebook page. She's got a Facebook profile, Instagram. She's on Pinterest and LinkedIn, and she has a Facebook group. So tell us about your Facebook group. Yeah. So, um, It's uh, tied to a course that I'm launching or that I launched in November and then I'm reopening up this month in January Mm -hmm. and it's called the Profiteer Collective. So it's small business owners, dreamers who can't afford to hire out their bookkeeping, but they want to understand it and they want someone to walk with them and they want a place to ask questions. So there's a lot of content. There's a lot of guest speakers because I you just can't listen to numbers all the time. So we have people coming in to talk about all sorts of things. Um, And then the group is just like-minded business owners who have these questions and maybe need ideas. And it might not always be bookkeeping related. It might be, how do I create a website? I'm not the best person to answer that, but there might be someone there who is. That's what it's for. And it's uh, really exciting. And I'm really looking forward to it. It is kind of a year commitment because there's so much information, but my goal is when you leave, that you leave and you can hire any professional and feel comfortable talking to them and be like, no, these are the questions I need to ask. And I expect you to give me an answer and you'll understand their answer a little bit better. That is awesome. So is that open right now? I opened it back up in January because I wanted to catch everybody um, before, right after the holidays. So I opened it right before Christmas and then I opened it right after because no one was going to do a whole lot of work around the Christmas and New Year's right. holidays. Okay, perfect. So if you are interested in joining that, the link to all of Caitlin is in the show notes. So um, definitely check in there. And I appreciate you coming on and sharing with us all of this extremely valuable information. I took really detailed notes and I'm going to have all of those notes in the show notes as well. So then that way people can really um, get those tips uh, pretty quickly and easily and um, definitely check you out. So Thanks so much. And if any of your listeners do want to sign up for the collective, um, if they'll enter podcast, they'll get a little discount in there um, and it'll let me know where they came from. That is awesome. Okay. That is great. Glad to hear it. Thanks so much for having me. It was wonderful talking. Yes, you too. Thank you. This episode of the Determined Mom Show is sponsored by the Keyword Content Planner. If you're not sure how to do keyword research and you're overwhelmed by not knowing if you got it right or how long your content should be, this super special content planner will help you to determine um, everything that you need to know about your targeted keywords. So it's going to give you your targeted content length, your reading difficulty score, more related keywords, and it also supplies the top 10 website suggestions for backlinking. You can get this right now for $37. It is on super duper special. So definitely check out the link in the show notes. Get your keyword content planner today.